Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. Today, we're going to discuss religious freedom conditions in Turkey, where USERF staff traveled this spring and met with religious and non-belief communities across the country. USERF has monitored and reported on Turkey since the late 2000s, recommending it for placement on the special watch list, or what was previously known at USERF as Tier 2, every year since 2014, and most recently again in our 2022 annual report. The State Department has not placed Turkey on any list because of its religious freedom violations. This year's annual report chapter on Turkey noted that conditions have overall remained poor and saw no improvement when compared to the previous year. In fact, many of the issues documented by USERF have persisted for many years, and the government has denied legal personality or legal status to religious groups and prevented religious minorities from holding important foundational elections and maintained the closure of the famous theological school of Halki, which has been closed now for over 50 years. Here on USERF Spotlight, we've released issue-specific podcasts on Turkey's persecution of the Alevi community and the impact of the Halki Seminary's continued closure on the global Orthodox community. Today, we'll discuss the findings of USERF's latest visit to the country, areas where Turkey may be making some progress, and others where it has made none, and future focus uh, of USERF's work on Turkey. I'm joined today by USERF senior policy analyst Keely Bakken, who recently traveled to Turkey as part of that staff delegation. She covers Turkey, the Caucasus, and Uzbekistan uh, for USERF. Keely, welcome back to USERF Spotlight. Thanks, Dwight. Now, to start with, why don't you... uh, if you could give our audience uh, some initial background on the religious landscape and some of the main issues detailed in our most recent annual report chapter on Turkey. Yeah, of course. And and thanks again for having me. Uh, So as you mentioned, a lot of the main religious freedom concerns in Turkey are concerns that have been around for a while. Generally speaking, the Turkish government is quite involved in religious affairs, despite defining itself in its constitution as a laic or secular state. The government also oversees and actively promotes the practice of Sunni Islam, which is what is practiced by the majority of the country through an official government body called the Directorate of Religious Affairs or the Dianet. Meanwhile, religious minority communities fall under the Ministry of Culture and Tourism's General Directorate of Foundations. So in a lot of ways, this makes the practice of all beliefs, both majority and minority, essentially subject to varying degrees and types of government control. When it comes to Sunni Islam, that means mosques are managed by the Dianet and imams carry out their work as civil servants, as government employees, who among other things are expected to follow official sermons that are produced by the government. There was one incident of this uh, this past year and we documented this in our annual report where law enforcement uh, detained 28 imams and of those went on to arrest nine for delivering sermons in Kurdish. So police interrogated them, 
asked them why they deviated from you know, the government's approved script and equated those acts as support for a terrorist organization. Along with that, the government still largely does not acknowledge the country's largest religious minority group, the Alevis, whose places of worship are not recognized. They also continue to be denied exemptions from mandatory religion classes that a lot of, well, certain other religious minority groups have been allowed to get out of at times. And then there's a whole host of issues faced by Greek Orthodox, Armenian Apostolic, Jewish, Protestant, Syriac, and other minority communities. And as you said at the outset, all religious communities in Turkey continue to lack legal personality, which affects their ability to manage their own affairs, particularly their religious properties. Many of them are stymied by an inability to train clergy in the country due to various government obstacles, and you've already brought up the most well-known case of the Hockey Seminary. And then issues like hate speech, anti-Semitism, discrimination, and the threat of blasphemy charges continue to be concerns that we are tracking from year to year. Yeah, that's, that's a wide range of things uh, that, you, that you touched on there. And it's interesting to see how, in some respects, the Turkish government exercises authority over all religious practice, but at other times the government violates the rights of certain groups in, in somewhat different and even nuanced ways. I understand from your trip that you met with a variety of religious and non-belief communities in the country. Can you tell us about those conversations and what were your, some of your key takeaways from the trip? Sure. So while we're in Turkey, we had the chance to meet with several different communities, all with varying perspectives on the state of freedom of religion or belief in the country. While many of them had a lot in common, it was also really interesting to sit down with them and, and hear about their own particular experiences and struggles to fully live out their beliefs, as well as actually preserve and pass them on to the next generation. Two examples that I want to highlight are the Greek Orthodox and Syriac communities, uh, both of whom view and, you know, to us, framed their concerns as existential ones for their communities. For the Greek Orthodox, their biggest concern is their inability to train clergy and the ecumenical patriarch's future leadership due to the continued closure of Halki. So we actually started our trip with a visit to Halki Seminary, which is located on an island about an hour and a half away from Istanbul. The seminary has been closed for more than 50 years after this constitutional amendment forced it to close its doors in 1971. And this has been a, a major focus for USERF when it comes to our reporting on Turkey. And I should also just mention, we did a podcast episode on this issue with Archbishop Elpidophoros, and I strongly recommend any listener interested in a deeper dive on hockey to check out that podcast from last year. But this has been one of the most intractable and, and prominent religious freedom issues in Turkey. It's also an issue that, while most commonly associated with the ecumenical patriarchate, doesn't only affect the Greek Orthodox community in Turkey. Other religious minorities, including Protestants, um, also can't train clergy in the country and must either send people abroad to pursue their studies or they're forced to rely on an influx of foreign Protestants, which has actually become another issue in recent years since the Turkish government has forced many of them to leave either by denying their residence permits or even deporting them. We also had a chance to meet with representatives of the Syriac Orthodox in Southeast Turkey. And while they have experienced all sorts of issues over the years, including property seizures, uh, they pointed to their inability to teach younger generations the Syriac language, which is central to their identity and religion, given its importance in their liturgy, as uh, the most significant threat to the continuation of their community. 
So the fact that they've been unable to pass on this key aspect of their identity has led them to believe that they're seeing the slow disappearance of their community in Turkey. Then lastly, um, we also had meetings with members of the Alevi community and representatives of the Atheism Association. Both uh, groups expressed concerns with the way that the government has been so aggressively promoting Sunni Islam, so often at the expense of individuals who don't share those beliefs. They've experienced discrimination, uh, and we even heard about one individual from the Atheism Association who is personally facing seven separate charges of blasphemy in connection to his social media posts. Yeah, certainly sounds like you had a lot of very useful, informative uh, meetings while while uh, in and around the country. It's clear from what you share, there's several challenges that continue uh, for a number of communities, both have beliefs and not, uh, that you met with. And maybe we could try to uh, focus a bit on some of the positive ch changes. Were there any that you saw or heard about? And what can you tell us about your interactions with any Turkish government officials? Yeah, so uh, like you said, I, I can't say that we've seen any major shifts on these issues, much less real serious efforts by the Turkish government to address or try and improve the situation, especially from any kind of like systematic uh, point of view. But at the same time, our visit also wasn't entirely without some positive highlights. I'd say that the biggest one was probably finding out over the course of some of our meetings that the government had actually finally finished restoring a number of churches in Diyarbakir in southeast Turkey that had uh, been damaged from clashes between the Turkish military and the PKK back in 2015. We actually had an opportunity to go and visit Sirkilagos, uh, an Armenian apostolic church, and a couple others, um, and met with members of the Armenian community there who were actually at that point preparing to reopen the church to worship uh, within a month. As for our engagements with the Turkish government, they were quite willing to meet with us and to have these kinds of conversations about religious freedom. But in most cases, while the conversations were helpful, we, we couldn't really get satisfactory answers to many of our questions about things like ongoing issues like the foundation board member elections, hockey seminary, blasphemy charges, and, and others. Well, uh, at least there was some engagement, even though we we didn't see the kinds of uh, progress that we that we hope to. But again, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, the the fact that you were able to get around the country, which uh, Yusuf is not so much, is is was a positive sign and able to talk to a number of the different groups in different parts of the country, and and the fact that they are restoring some of those churches. Um, since you know, you've returned to, uh, from Turkey. Have there been any additional developments that are worth noting over the past couple of months? Yeah, actually there have been. And that was uh, one thing I was hoping to get to since we just kind of mentioned the foundation board member elections. Um, so the Turkish government finally did release these new updated regulations for religious minority communities to be able to hold elections for their foundations. So this is something that these religious communities have been waiting for for years. The government actually suspended the previous regulations that used to govern this process back in 2013. And so foundations haven't been able to hold these elections for the last eight or so years. And other things that we've been tracking, there was a really disturbing incident in June where an Assyrian family in the Southeast who were hosting uh, visiting religious clergy was attacked by a group of men brandishing sticks over some kind of property dispute. And then 
relevant to our Syria reporting as well. We're also monitoring Turkey's recent threats to launch yet another operation into North Syria. Well, uh, some things continue to go on. I, I guess that leads us to to uh, you know focusing on what what can be done about it. Obviously, we've been we've been watching closely for many years. We've made uh, a number of uh, recommendations, um, and I can you know as you well know, uh, Keely, uh, you know it seems like a far cry though from the time where you know Pastor Brunson was in in jail and there was the sanctions on the two uh, Turkish officials. Very tense times just a few years ago. Here you are, get access uh, and and go in and and, and see a lot of different uh, people from a range of communities. But where does that leave us in terms of going forward here? And some of our uh, latest recommendations uh, to the U.S. government in trying to to move Turkey in a positive direction. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, in terms of our recommendations, and in addition to the the big one of recommending Turkey for placement on the special watch list, we've also been recommending that the U.S. government really continue to explicitly engage the Turkish government on a lot of these issues. So that includes by continuing to raise the reopening of the Halki Seminary, which we've seen the U.S. government do in, in certain contexts, uh, but continuing to do that at every opportunity is really important. We've also recommended um, a, new, a new recommendation that the ambassador for international religious freedom and the special envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism travel to Turkey to see these, these kinds of conditions for themselves and to raise these issues directly with their counterparts. Um, in terms of other things that USURF is, is working on and kind of looking, looking forward, um, USURF actually recently put out a request for proposals for research on threats to religious sites in Turkey. And we didn't have too much opportunity to get into this specific issue, but USERF has been fairly regularly documenting these kinds of incidences, including damage, vandalism, and destruction of religious sites. And the contractor research on this topic will, we hope, uh, more comprehensively assess the scope and scale of these kinds of threats and contribute to USERF's future, future reporting and recommendations going forward. Well, thanks so much. We'll have to leave it right here. Uh, I want to thank Keely Bakken uh, again for joining us to discuss her recent visit as part of a staff delegation just a few months ago. You can find our latest annual report chapter on Turkey released uh, just in late April and our most recent uh, policy recommendations on our website. As always, thanks for tuning in today and we'll see you next time on USERV Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight. <laughs>